Welcome to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media. We provide business professionals with insights and ideas for protecting their people from the vast array of threats facing organizations today. Each week, you'll hear advice and best practices from an experienced safety leader. Here's your host, Peter Steinfeld. Hello, I hope you're having a great week. Today's episode focuses on how organizations can combine innovative technology and effective communication to improve safety in the workplace. Our guest today is Abby Ferry, an established speaker and thought leader in the safety space. She's a co-founder and former host of the Safety Justice League podcast and author of The Safety Habit and The Safety Consultant Kit. She was also named Safety Professional of the Year by the American Society of Safety Professionals in 2022. Today, she's the Chief Risk Officer at Insurate, where she uses data science and analytics to assess risk more accurately. Abby explains why it's important for safety practitioners to have a seat at the table and help their organizations make better safety decisions and how to utilize modern technology on the job site to collect and measure data. Let's listen in. Abby, you've written books, spoken at conferences, consulted, and are now the chief risk officer at Insurate. With all this experience, how would you sum up the core focus or mission of your work? Yeah, I, I kind of got into safety by accident, right? Like how a lot of people do and ended up just really loving the career path. And as I got later into my career, and especially during my consulting firm days when I was by myself and just like using social media and leveraging all the free marketing that I could, I realized that I had this unique perspective where it's almost like a safety guinea pig. Like I would go and learn about new concepts related to safety or new products like PPE, especially stuff geared towards women and try it out. And also trying out new technology. When I had my consulting firm, it was, let's see, like 2012, 2013, about that time when I started. And so that was when things like smart speakers and wearables and other kind of, like I I laugh about it now, even mobile apps for safety started to get really popular. So really baby safety technology, but it was a time where a lot of people were excited and they wanted to try new things. And so where I found myself was as this, like a, a safety person behind the curtain that I was, Hey, try this out. It's cool. I checked it out for you. Don't worry. It actually isn't going to scam you or take all your information. And so I started posting on LinkedIn about my journeys with trying these different apps and other things that I just would find and, and test out for people. And then I realized that safety professionals, they're doing their thing day to day. There's stuff that happens every day. They're so busy. And so I became this like a safety translator, translating technology and the new tech of the day, the new app, the new software platform or new concepts and saying, here's how you can apply this. And here's some sample use cases. Here's what I would do or dreaming about things that wouldn't it be cool if we could do this. And so that's where I feel I'm at now. And as I'm bridging more into risk management focus and focus on insurance and risk control, that it really goes together. That's really where I see myself right now as someone that's coming from the industry, but also has the opportunity and privilege really to check out the new things and tell people about them. So basically you're the safety whisperer. Yeah, right. Except I, I'm kind of loud. I have a loud <laughs> inside voice. 
<laughs> right. Well, I, I love the the geek factor or the passion factor, as other people refer to it. It just it really helps you dig so deep into things that other people might not see or they might ignore. So that's fantastic. I love that story. Thank you. Well, let's let's jump in a little bit more into technology because that's fascinating to me as well. How does the safety industry need to change its relationship with technology, in your opinion? Yeah, I think people need to understand that it's not here to replace us. They still want to see where they fit in the picture. And so when I talk about technology, it's more so how a safety professional can use it to scale themselves. So almost like cloning yourself, but scaling your message. I think safety professionals have this unique privilege where we get to speak to all levels of workers every day, really. And so we need to be taking advantage of those communication opportunities. And I call it these short, consistent relationship building interactions. And so notice I didn't say conversations, because I don't think the safety person should be talking at people in these short, consistent relationship building interactions. Sometimes it could be a quick question, um, just like a conversation starter. And then you listen to what the worker has to say. And so People really like that. They like learning about how to build this habit of doing these short, consistent relationship building interactions. But then it's like, well, I'm too busy. I want to talk to everybody individually. I want to listen to everybody individually, but that's tough. And so that's where technology comes into the picture. And so I've been a big fan and I still think it's not utilized enough. If I was still working in construction as a safety director with little to no staff, on the safety side, but needing to communicate to site leadership, like project managers, superintendents, foremen, people like that. Every job site has a trailer. They have a field office. Every field office has multiple desks. A supervisor goes into that trailer. Why not have a smart speaker on their desk? And why not have the safety person blast out safety messages daily, weekly, whatever it is, to the point where that leader goes to his desk, goes to her desk and says, tell me the safety message for the day. And then I'm able to scale a consistent relationship building message to those job sites. So that's just one little use case that in the landscape of safety technology, there's stuff like wearables, internet of things with all the connected equipment, sensors, beacons, collaborative robots, all kinds of things. But I still think that there's a lot of low-hanging fruit, like not to be you know, cliche, but there's still a lot of things that haven't been used enough. So as safety professionals and risk management professionals think about technology and its use in your workplace, don't aim too high, you know, especially if you're just getting started on this technology journey. Start with where the people are at and how you can improve your communication or clone yourself almost through scaling that communication. So your theory is that Traditionally speaking, the safety professional is seen more as an outsider, someone who comes in once a quarter, once a year, maybe once a month at best. And if you can start leveraging technology, you can more embed yourself in the daily habits of people and in the culture overall. I like that. <laughs> I'm doing the like, yes, yes, uh, fingers. <laughs> Mr. Burns. <laughs> Mr. Burns, but in a good way. So yeah, I think right. that is a problem that a lot of safety professionals, they're not able to get out and have those one-on-one -on -one interactions with workers because they're stuck at their office managing spreadsheets or they're stuck in their office looking at loss runs that I know I come from the insurance industry. I'm sorry, everybody. It does get better. Loss runs can be made in a better format so you can get better information from them. 
And so that's a low hanging fruit area too. So a safety professional needs to lean on their risk control professionals at their different occupational insurance carriers. I work for workers comp, so I frame it that way, but understand what tools are available to you just as a policyholder. There's a lot of literal money left on the table as far as unused resources from an insurance carrier. And so one thing that could help a safety professional get out into the field and talk to their people is to have trended and analyzed information from the insurance carrier so that they're able to understand at a quick glance, maybe looking at some pretty charts and graphs and numbers that can tell them, oh, this area needs my attention, whether it's a particular worksite, a specific activity, a specific demographic of workers. That's where I think there's still a lot left to be done is safety professionals relying on that analyzed, often through artificial intelligence, AI, or other analytics type of program that's giving them trended information. They don't have to make their own pivot table on a spreadsheet. You can use the output from your insurance carrier's risk management information system to help you prioritize your day, your week, your quarter, your entire year, set goals based on that, and let that data work for you. So really, that's where a lot of my messaging lately is rooted is that safety professionals need to understand the tools. It's really the the work smarter, not harder. Get out from your desk and the spreadsheet. Let the AI do that trending and analysis for you. Let it help you prioritize and just go for it. They may find that they're able to use their time better. No, I think that's huge. It seems like from a, a safety or security perspective, we oftentimes in this profession rely on the anecdote and telling people, well, isn't it just obvious we need to invest more in safety? No, it's not obvious. Let, like you said, the technology collect all that data and then let the data speak for itself. And that can then give you the evidence you need to encourage your executives to invest in the things they need to from a security or safety perspective. Absolutely. And let that data help you speak more clearly to the workers or more clearly to the supervisors, that frontline manager that's that super important role at any organization because they're the person giving the direction to the worker. And so they they need data. They need the data story from the safety professionals so they can adequately influence those workers to make, whether it's big changes or maybe they're small changes. A lot of times our clients are finding it's just a little fine-tuning that If there's a piece of data that it's like, oh, I didn't realize that all this activity is happening in this one region. Okay, let's focus there. Data isn't going to change your whole life, but I think like small incremental changes can get that way. And I believe strongly in meeting my clients specifically where they are, because a lot of companies, when we've been talking about safety professionals a lot of companies don't have them. They've got HR managers, they have administrative professionals that are tasked with safety. So even more important to get trended, analyzed, informational safety data to them so they can make their life better because they're wearing a lot of hats and some of them they didn't want to wear like the safety hat. That's right. Yeah. And that data can help people understand the why behind the ask for change instead of just having someone say, because I said so. It's like, well, look at the data. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, people love to be surprised. They love to be informed. They love 
little factoids that that they can hang on to. I remember when I was on the Safety Justice League podcast, we interviewed a woman named Tamsin Webster, and she talked about the red thread, about weaving your story into training, and that when you approach a training or conversation, you know, communication interaction with workers, they already have questions. You can almost see like the question bubbles above their heads. And they just want to be able to get some piece of relevant, timely information from you to help them keep telling the right story in their head. So, and it's not like a bad thing that they're telling stories in their head. It's just that people make sense out of things through story. So if you can give them numbers and facts that might surprise them, or just inform them, then they're going to remember that. And that helps them continue the story that hopefully we're all on the same page, you know, in your workplace telling similar stories in our heads. If not, that's a different story. <laughs> but I think that that can really help people understand and and have it stick with them longer because there's nothing worse than leaving a great safety communication opportunity and it was squandered because you weren't able to communicate data and things that help people really inform their decision-making. Well, all that comes down to communication. And I know that you feel that communication is a really crucial component in building safety habits. So what specifically does that mean for you beyond what you've just said? So safety professionals, of course, we're, we're privileged. We get to talk to all kinds of people. But often when we have all those opportunities that other management professionals in our organizations don't have, we take it for granted. And so I think each day it's important for a safety professional. It's not like you have to meditate on it or have like a mantra, but maybe, you know, some little post-it note at your, your desk that says, don't waste the opportunities. Or whenever I have a chance to speak directly to workers, I am not going to read from a sheet of paper. Maybe it has some points that I want to hit, but... I am going to take that opportunity, most importantly, to listen. So that means I need to have good questions. And so I think when safety professionals think about bettering their communication and how they can get more information and, and dialogue from workers when they're out there talking to so many people, is to think of questions to ask. Because often... A safety professional, I mean, we've seen a lot of stuff. So sometimes we'll tell a story, we'll say something, we'll tell something to the worker. And I am always asking safety professionals to ask better questions of the workers. What is it that the data is telling you? You get all this awesome data from your insurance company or your own analytics and, and whatnot. Okay, what questions can we build from that to further understand what we can do in the field? Yeah, it seems like people don't want to be talked at. They like yeah. to be conversed with. And Absolutely. when you ask those questions, it engages them in the process. And that's huge. I mean, that's part of, that's why I call it those short, consistent relationship building opportunities is that when you ask the question, that makes the person feel multiple things, that you're, that their input is welcome for one, and that it's also potentially valuable. So it makes them feel good that they're not only being asked to contribute, but knowing that that information might actually lead to something that, who knows, they could be recognized for their input or just have that satisfaction of, I said that, I started that. <laughs> People are very motivated by those types of things. I mean, we don't need to raffle off TVs and trucks anymore. People still love that, I think. But <laughs> <laughs> I think overall, the more lasting and the more sustainable and what you're going to get more out of in the future is the questions and implementing what people say and valuing their input in a genuine way. And 
sometimes I've run into people that it's difficult for them to genuinely communicate and it's fine. That just means they need practice. And so that's why those short interactions and opportunities for communication, that's great practice. Practice asking a question first. Cool. It takes the pressure off, but you're getting better at those genuine interactions. So there's a starting point for everybody, but I think overall questions can't hurt. Would you say that one of the top three mistakes that safety professionals often make is to be a lecturer instead of yeah. someone who engages in conversation? Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a habit. You know, <laughs> safety professionals, we've gotten into this habit because I think sometimes we feel we have to justify our very existence at an organization. And you see this in safety training. Often safety training, it starts off with what I call the preamble, that the safety professional, they're, they're doing their usual speech about you know, how they got into the profession and maybe some other stuff that's not specifically pertinent to the topic they actually need to impart to the workers. But oops, by the time they're done with the preamble, it's been 20 minutes and now we have 20 minutes left in this generous you know, classroom setting that the management has given us. So that's why it's very critical that we do not waste time in those in-person, or it could be a virtual classroom, interaction. Leave the preamble out. Just leave it out. You know, it's not about you. It's about the workers. It's about what they need from you today that helps them right away as soon as they leave that classroom. And that's going to be more valuable because if they can immediately apply what you just talked about, it doesn't matter what you were going to say in your preamble. They're going to trust you. They know that you are a person that has relevant and timely material and you don't waste their time. And that's that's relationship building. So I think maybe that's another mantra for safety professionals. It's not about you. <laughs> I feel bad, but you know, I I come from that background. So I think I can talk to my fellow safety professionals that way. And sometimes we need we need that tough love to really progress in our communication with our workers. Well, can you give an example of an organization that has used the technology and communication habits that you've talked about so far and how it impacted them? Wow. I would say, I think where I've seen the most benefit or just the most excitement around people implementing this type of communication coaching is with companies that don't have dedicated safety professionals, where it's an operations person that is begrudgingly tasked with safety and so I'll talk to them and say, hey, I, I know safety wasn't your career choice. I get it. But times are how they are. This is on your plate. So given your personality and where you want to go and what the company needs to work on, here's some thoughts on how you can interact with these managers that are out there on the floor. And maybe sometimes it's delegating not so much like work to these people but delegating that they talk to their people. So this operations person who's tasked with safety, they don't have a lot of time, but they can delegate little chunks, little questions, little info gathering missions to those direct managers of the workers, have them report back, which means having some kind of structure, some kind of ongoing structure where safety is discussed and tasks are moved forward, corrective actions, injuries, all that is discussed and moved forward. So what I've so the the communication and the questions, it has to come with some kind of structure where because you're getting all this information from the workers, they're telling you stuff that you would have never found out on your own, even if you inspected every inch of that workplace. Once the people start talking to you, you have to have a system where you could use that information for good, which is making 
difficult purchasing decisions, making smaller purchasing decisions, making other shifts in how the work is done. So I think because maybe it's because safety, we kind of have this mindset and framework of how we think safety should be done. And that's why I found success with non-safety professionals trying to implement some structures that work within the existing company communications and how people already interact. That's fantastic. And it made me think of something I've seen for many years in the oil and gas industry and manufacturing where they start meetings, every meeting, doesn't matter what kind of meeting it is with a safety message. And it could be anything. It could be about safety at the company. It could be about something you do at home. It could be about cyber safety, whatever. It's just getting people into this mindset of always thinking about safety. What are your thoughts on things like that? Not to be cynical, but okay. So I do like if people establish the habit of discussing safety at a meeting, but I'm sure some of the listeners have been at meetings like that where it's completely forced. And the Mm. person that's leading off the safety moment, it's a higher level manager and it's like a wishy-washy safety topic. And so that's, Yeah. yeah. So that's one of those moments where I say, don't, waste the opportunity. If you're going to say we're leading every mo- every meeting with a safety moment, then make it relevant. Make it something that actually makes sense to the work that's going on right now or a goal or initiative that's going on with the company or a recent rash of injuries that has occurred or a trend that's been identified. Don't waste that moment because when you do and you do that wishy-washy like okay I'm here in Minnesota what would the safety moment be if a manager didn't know what was going on let's walk like a penguin outside so we don't slip and fall okay fine but it would be a lot more influential and better received if it's like hey we had five slip and falls in the parking lot last week and a couple details are you know this and that and so what we did is now we have a bench inside the entry. So you can change out of your boots and change into your work shoes. So wear your boots, you know, outside, and then maybe you're not going to slip and fall, or you can use that bench to take the ice cleats off if it's that bad and then come into the building. So if they had a more specific message, that's going to, people are going to remember that they're going to be more apt to share that with their people once they leave that meeting. So don't waste that safety moment opportunity. I'm not a complete hater of starting every meeting with a safety moment, but I think sometimes if it doesn't fit, then you know, don't do it. I would rather not do it than sacrifice some kind of relationship or position of safety authority that I've built by delivering a wishy-washy safety message. No, that's so true because people just start rolling their eyes and then the, yeah. the whole effectiveness goes down the drain. So it yep. seems like maybe a good way to do it is like you said, as the the safety professional at top could maybe on a weekly or monthly basis send out a list of, hey, here are 10 things that you could mention in your next meeting and start it off with a question. Hey, does anybody know like how many slip and falls we had this month? And it's something for people to lean on instead of having to come up with an idea on their own. That's a great idea. There's probably so many listeners that have that safety moment that maybe they never thought to do something like that. I'll send an email to all the managers and say, use this in your safety moment this week. Perfect. Then you've scaled yourself now. The safety person has scaled themselves. Now all these you know, 100 whatever managers, they receive that message and they're going to be putting your message out there. Like that's that's perfect. And the trivia element people love trivia. So starting off with a question like that, you know, people like to be right or see how far off they were. But the safety person, again, it needs to start with them to provide that data. Well, tell us about where your focus is today. 
Wow. So I I kind of alluded to it a little bit with a lot of our clients, you know, working with them where they are. If there's dedicated safety professionals, cool. If not, realizing that a lot of companies don't have dedicated safety professionals. And I can't just walk away, you know, and say, I can't believe you don't have a safety professional. And honestly, (laughs) that's what a lot of insurance companies might do. And they often based on employee count or workers comp premium size that people have an idea in their head of when a company needs, you know, air quote needs a safety professional, but often someone's hiring a safety professional just to hire a safety professional. So I love the opportunities where there isn't a safety manager or director on board and I can see where they're at, you know, who's doing what it's kind of like they've made a transformer safety person out of HR, payroll, operations. Now they combine into this like, what is it? Bumblebee, like the the big yellow transformer. That's a perfect safety visual. And is that better or worse than one safety manager that's an actual safety professional? I don't know. We have to really look at culture aspects. And so I'm really digging into manager responsibility for safety whatever it is, safety inspections, safety communication, I kind of lump it all in in there together. And how are workers being communicated to? And so how can I help a client fine tune how they're talking to their workers and what they're talking about and always focusing on, well, what's your goal? Like if a company has a goal to minimize recordable incidents by a certain percent, okay, what are the activities that are going into that? Are we doing it? Can I help you track it? Can I help you understand how to communicate about this? So that's the fun part. I mean, it's a lot of very niche level and very personal, customized risk control consulting. And honestly, that's the kind of work I've wanted to do for years in my different roles with insurance carriers, insurance brokers. And it's kind of an old industry in how we how we practice risk control with our clients. And so that's what I'm trying to do differently with risk control at Insurate is to look at those custom factors. Not every company that's this size revenue in this industry is going to have the same issues. They're a different individualized company. And so I have awesome data scientists at the company that have developed an underwriting algorithm that's proprietary, but it's also amazingly informational. So I can have a score of zero to 100 for a new client. And based on that score, I have an idea of who they are. And also information gathered during the underwriting process. We have a year to work together. And hopefully by the end of that year, they're happy because they have better data insights about what they're doing. They're able to use that information to inform their decisions. And even better, they're able to look out into the future a little bit more instead of just like managing claims and reacting to things that they can kind of breathe, (laughs) you know, and and start to look at fun stuff. Safety can be fun. Risk management can be fun. And so that's where I'm at is being a coach. I find it's a lot easier to collaborate and bring data to the table and help the insured communicate with their people so they have success and then they're happy when they come back and talk to me. Now, historically speaking, it seems like safety has been really popular in dangerous industries. There's a spectrum of danger. You know, you've got manufacturing, oil and gas, healthcare, things like that. Obvious. We need safety professionals around doing all sorts of very focused things. In fact, maybe several of them. Are you seeing that 
broaden in scope? Are industries that you never thought would ever be really interested in safety reaching out to you now with an interest? Interesting question. Yeah. I mean, traditionally manufacturing, construction, like the dirty jobs, they have safety professionals. It's really because the people that hire those companies or that are higher up in the supply chain, they push some requirements down to those people. And so now, I mean, healthcare, the caring professions, you know, after COVID, we're seeing these numbers that are just terrible from not only from illness, but also injuries. We're seeing patient handling injuries, combative patients sometimes in, in different behavioral types of settings. And these workers, traditionally women, many minority workers, the culture is just, they're doing their job, you know, and it's a caring profession. So I'm, I'm not going to complain. I'm helping, mm. I'm doing a service, but gosh, these workers in some settings, they really haven't had the safety controls that are just the bare minimum. So I am seeing an increase in safety focus for the worker in healthcare and those types of settings, home healthcare, senior living, things like that, where it's more of a focus on worker training to help them understand things like ergonomics or behavioral patterns to avoid or to to look out for with patients. And especially in ergonomics, I, I said that, but that's a big one because the diversity of sizes of people that work these jobs and just in the diversity of the patients as well, that the matchups are are difficult. So there's a lot of knowledge, I think, that that's happening in those fields. And COVID was a catalyst for a lot of things. And I'm hopeful that it's a catalyst for better working conditions for healthcare workers. Well, it's a promising trend. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that, that more organizations yeah. are taking this seriously. As we wrap up here, do you have any new projects or exciting work coming up? Well, I've been working with an awesome group of volunteers through ASSP, the American Society of Safety Professionals, and ISEA, the International Safety Equipment Association. And we have been working on a technical report. So it will be published as a ASSP slash ISEA technical report on the guidance of PPE fit for women. And it's going to be a one-stop report for end users, distributors, manufacturers, and safety professionals and others who make the purchasing decisions for PPE. So they can have like a backup in their pocket that says, women are different. <laughs> in case you didn't know, uh, they're not just small men. And <laughs> newsflash, the shrink and pink mindset of a lot of PPE and apparel manufacturers is just not cutting it. We don't want more leopard print or purple and pink. We want safety glasses that actually take into account that cheekbones might be higher or that the distance between the bridge of the nose is different or with gloves, finger lengths for women and the, the length across the hand. There's just so many of these anthropometric measurements that there's actual science that says, here's how women should be fitted with these pieces of equipment. And here's why. So face protection, there's so many different things out there. So the report will bring together some information on that, but just to further show that there's actual data out there that companies can be using to build and manufacture PPE that fits women, not just changing the color. Well, it sounds like we've just scratched the surface on a lot of this stuff and there's a, a lot more that can be uncovered. So thank you so much for being here and sharing all this with the audience. Thank you. 
If you want to connect with Abby and learn more about her work, check out her links in the show notes. And then please rate, review, and share the show wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks for listening. We truly appreciate every minute you spend with us. Have a safe week, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, the industry's most intuitive emergency communication and threat intelligence solution. To learn more about how to protect your people and business during critical events, visit alertmedia.com. Until next time.